Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I am back Yay. for the new year. Yes, everybody's so excited. In fact, one of our guests here is doing cartwheels as we speak, and that would be James Gearbrandt. Down the line, possibly also doing uh, cartwheels, although I can't confirm it because I can't see him, it's Matt Dickinson. Later on, we'll be looking ahead to a titanic tussle between Tottenham and Chelsea in the League Cup semifinals. But we start with the FA Cup, where for a large part of the weekend, the gulf in divisions was very much visible in the third round with 7-0 wins for Tottenham and Manchester City. But roll on Sunday afternoon at Rodney Parade as League Two Newport County knocked out 2016 Premier League winners Leicester City. And Matt, did this game make you feel the magic of the cup? Uh, it did, absolutely, to be honest. I was uh, sat at home and I saw the score, I saw Newport were winning after this sort of an hour or so, and I grabbed my kids and we made sure we sat down on the sofa and, and watched the denouement, and we were thrilled to do so. No, it was great. Um, that and watching, uh, being at Loftus Road and watching QPR uh, win a cup game, um, yeah, we were o- overflowing with the magic of the cup. No, I mean, it's, you know, the, the competition has, and I'm sure we'll get into it, has has, has its challenges in the in the great um, you know, mess of, of, of English football, trying to sort of find its place, trying to sort of grab attention. Um, but every time, you know, people sort of give up on it, you get an afternoon like that. And even if it was a second, you know, there's a reality that a lot of big clubs are paying uh, half and half teams or even B teams, but um, there can still be plenty of thrills in it. Well, a lot of little clubs are also. Yeah, well, QPR played a half and half team. Leeds, Leeds played less than a half and half team. So, I mean, I, I honestly, like, I know this will probably never change because you guys like your traditions and Black Rod and all that stuff, and especially you, Dicko. But I'm old enough to remember when this was different, and everybody was excited and 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 whatever. And I don't know. I know why why, why teams do this. I just don't know. I don't know what the fix is. Uh, there's an argument, obviously, that it's money. I mean, if you if you finish like one or two, if you finish one spot higher, for example, in the Premier League, you get two million pounds. If you for you to get that much in the FA Cup, I think you need to win three matches. So, you well, know, just, uh, that's one. But then I'm I'm been anti. I've got a big issue with FA Cup prize money because you know the FA has a certain amount of funds, and we've this takes us off into a different tangent about you know paying for. Proper coaching and proper pitches and uh, and all the mass, but you know the FA ends up giving five plus million quid to say Man City or to Arsenal when they win the trophy, um, which is money that I think the FA should be devoting to far better causes than making a very very rich club slightly slightly richer. So you know the the FA Cup, like the the, the League Cup, is a is a useful model of of wealth redistribution but it's not you know that money matters to the small clubs but there's probably got to be a, a a broader cleverer way or smarter way of doing it well they could just not give any money to premier league clubs well but then you know that, that i've that, well i advocate not giving as, as these big chunks of of ffa funds to uh, the big clubs but um as we know um the fa board has big clubs sitting around the table so yeah let's say this is a whole big structural issue around english football never mind about the fa cup well let's get back to that defeat for leicester then james club made seven changes 
for his team. There was no Jamie Vardy in the squad. James Madison started actually on the bench. Fans will be critical of Puel, but then again, doesn't seem to take too much for that to happen anyway. No, I mean, I think, you know, there are obviously, there are kind of two things going on here. I mean, he's not a popular manager. He's not a manager who ever gets the benefit of the doubt. And that's not, you know, it's not a comment on Leicester fans in particular, because it is exactly the same at Southampton. You know, I don't, whether it's his lack of charisma or, you know, the fact that the style of football is not to people's taste. He's just not, he's not a manager who gets the, the benefit of the doubt, really. Not that I think, you know, Claude Puel is motivated by egocentrism. I don't think, I don't think he is at all, but, you know, let's say that he, he was. Claude Puel, when he was Southampton manager, actually went on a very good cup run and he took them all the way to the League Cup final where they were actually very unlucky not to beat Manchester United. That didn't seem to earn him any credit. That didn't seem to get him any credit with his employers, who obviously subsequently dismissed him, or really with the wider public. So, you know, yeah, why, you know what, why the, would you? Listen, Claude, écoute-moi. <laughs> you're, you're seven points behind Manchester United in the battle for Europa League spot via the league, okay? You're not going to catch them. Not now that Solskjaer's back, and so the darkness has lifted. Uh, you're something stupid like 17 points maybe even more than that I don't know I'm not looking at the table you're a million points away from the relegation zone you're not going to get relegated you will finish in mid-table people aren't going to start to like you more if you finish 7th instead of 10th which is and you presumably you will finish in there right? we can debate whether Wolves are better or whatever but this is where you will finish this is exactly the team you just you know there's over yeah, he's not getting the money. No, no, but it's, it's, that's where a club needs to... I think clubs probably need to be better, better communicate with, with their fans about what, what their ambitions are. I mean, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I, I agree with you. I, I, as, a, as a fan, as an observer, as a neutral, as a journalist, as, you know, I, I want to see these clubs actually value it, go for some glory, um, and not put whether they finish 7th or 10th higher. But the chief execs... Um, are probably arguing differently, um, and I'm yeah, and I'm I'm surprised if a manager isn't saying, well, actually, no, 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 let's 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 remember what the game's about, let's remember what fans want, let's let's ha- have a have a think. But you know, it does going it is going to matter on his CV whether he finishes seventh or eleventh or twelfth. I don't think um, so. I, I don't. I mean, I I, I genuinely I, I genuinely don't. I mean, obviously, if he gets relegated, yeah. But who's going to hire Claude Puel based on the fact that he finished seventh, a hundred points behind Liverpool or City, or twelfth, a hundred and ten points behind Liverpool or City? It's still well, it's the about same. The about, I mean, I guess it's about being seen to you know, you finish X position one year and you, you're trying to improve and get closer, get closer to the top, step step by step. But I, I you know, I, I wish that they. I, I can't see the point why. A lot of teams, you know, there are some cases where you can see it, some cases stretch teams or there is a, a reason to, to chase. I'm sure Leeds had a rationale for playing a bunch of kids yesterday yeah. at the game. I was well, at. I mean, I can, I can tell you that. I mean, I, I spoke to a member of the coaching staff of Premier League Club yesterday and he said, what, we've just come through the holiday fixture list. We played a bazillion games. We've got more games coming up. A day off is, is frankly a gift for a lot of these players. And we look at the opposition we were facing. We knew that they were going to rest players too. And so we rested players and we won. Um, boy, that narrows it down, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it wasn't clubbed well. But uh, do you have any creative solutions other than taking all the prize money away to get people to 
to, to restore something to this? I mean, I, I kind of think maybe no, the problem I, I, like is... Like you say, I mean, the timing doesn't... The timing, right? The, but the timing is, you know, like you say, we, uh, we'd like our traditions, and the FA Cup being uh, the start of January, the third round, um, is one of them. But you're right, it, doesn't, it clearly doesn't help um, the issue of, 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 of clubs putting out um, reserve teams or whatever. The, 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 the timing is after the, the, the mad Christmas run. Uh, it doesn't help. It's become cultural, hasn't it? I mean, it becomes one of those issues where certain, a few started it, um, and now it's now it's become accepted. You know, it's a lot easier to do it in a in a place where everyone everyone has started doing it. Um, but you I, my suggestion. What's that? I have I have my own suggestion here. What for how to reverse it? Yeah. Go for it. All right. What I would do, and nobody's going to like this, but uh, because I, you know, you always think you need to balance the traditions. You guys always talk about how tradition is important, whatever. But then, you know, you go when you put players' names on the back of jerseys, and you have crazy squad numbers and the Premier League, and so you actually are relative to a lot of other footballing nations. You are quite open to, to innovation. Um, what if you just played the whole FA Cup in January? In other words, you have third round, fourth round every weekend. So a break from league, no league stuff. Yeah, no league. Mm-hmm. You just play it straight through January. You can have the semifinals in in April or or whatever at Wembley. But in doing that, teams that get knocked out can obviously go and have their little winter break. So you get you know it's a two for one benefit there. Um, but teams who are still in it maybe. Maybe the rest players in the third round, but then next week it's the fourth round. So, hey, guess what? You know, there's fewer teams in there. Maybe we'll take it more seriously. We've had an extra, an extra week off or whatever. This idea is, yeah, I'm, I'm hating this idea already. <laughs> see? See? You're not a grumpy curmudgeon like Dicko, are you, Gearbrand? I quite like it as an idea, but I Thank don't you. really kind of see how it sort of changes the... I mean, are we not in the situation anyway where teams rest players for the third round and then as the rounds progress and... You know, the number of teams left in gets smaller. They start putting more first team well, regulars in. And you'd also find that a, a team that, say, is competing for the title might want to get knocked out in the third round because they'll have a break. Yeah, maybe. But the point is the gap between the teams that are competing for the title and the rest is so huge that, um, you know, they're not getting intentionally knocked out, right? They're still, you know, Spurs are still winning 7-0, right? Um I think the advantage is that even if you do rest players in the third round, you're unlikely to do it in the fourth round or the fifth round. Um, Why? Because otherwise you're going to have a whole month without playing competitive games, and you're not going to want that. You're going to want players to play competitive fixtures and get match fit. I don't know. Look, it's an idea. But it's it's obvious whatever you're doing now is not working. Whatever the solution is, it isn't that one. Well, well. Let's uh, obviously you mentioned there that the, the, perhaps the teams at the top are taking it more seriously. That Tottenham, Manchester City, winning seven nil. They're not taking it more seriously. They just we, have enormous squads because they've got yes, a lot okay. more money, and so when their scrubs come in, they're still they're still better than than in whoever they're playing. Especially if it's like Rotherham or or other. Muppet but at shows. the other end of the scale, three of the Premier League's bottom four were eliminated by lower league opposition: Huddersfield, Fulham, or anything. and Cardiff. Um, James, should we then take it for granted that that some teams, perhaps who are fighting for survival, let's say, just see this FA Cup as an inconvenience? I think I think it's an inconvenience. I think I think the whole thing is is kind of sometimes framed in a way that is quite misleading. I think people sort of I don't know. I think that's kind of a perception that teams deliberately play bad lineups in a sort of self-sabotaging way because they want to be knocked out. I don't think that's true. I just think that 
managers had to prioritize i mean that is at, that's the that's just the reality of being young gearbreds of a different generation <laughs> that's, uh, 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 that's the reality of being a, a modern club football manager and I, I for me rotating players in the cup competitions is something that makes sense and that's why literally every single premier league manager does it it's something that makes sense on every level because a you get to rest senior players who have just had an absolutely grueling you know christmas period and quite frankly you know the whole fixture calendar is quite you know players play a lot of football b you get to play your reserve players who you may want to give minutes to because a they may be promising young players or you know you might end up having to rely on them further down the line and i also think something that's kind of an underappreciated aspect is that backup players want to play you know they're not robots they're human beings and being a football manager part of that is managing human beings and you know not having players who are just stuck on the bench with absolutely no hope of playing you know unless someone gets injured in their position making them feel good you know giving them some incentive saying you know go and play for us in the FA Cup this weekend and I think you know it pays off down the line I mean an example that I I was thinking of is Vicente Guaita was the Crystal Palace reserve keeper at the start of this season came into their Premier League lineup. I think as Hennessy got injured and initially and has played so well that he's now displaced Hennessy and he's now the first choice keeper but he had three full League Cup games under his belt from earlier in the season Roy Hodgson didn't say to him you know Roy Hodgson who by the way is not exactly of the new school of football management didn't say no Hennessy's our best keeper he's playing in every single game you know he gave him a chance and I think that's part of managing a squad well This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Well, the cup action doesn't stop as Tottenham take on Chelsea in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup with the first leg at Wembley on Tuesday night. Uh, Chelsea eventually eased past Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup on Saturday. And James, you were there. It was a chance for Callum Hudson-Odoi to shine. Did he do so? Bear in mind, Bayern Munich reportedly after him. Yeah, I, I thought Hudson-Odoi played pretty well, to be honest. Um, you know, he obviously set up both goals for Alvaro Morata. And I think generally he showed an excellent ability to beat the full-back. And I thought his delivery as well was, was really, really good. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was it was generally an impressive performance by him. It's been argued that he's going to be pushed down further down the pecking order by the signing of Christian Pulisic, who's going to arrive in the summer. Uh, is that fair, Matt? Uh, well, I know we saw Chelsea saying otherwise. I think Zola said um, said that that, that that wasn't the, the case. Um, but uh, you're going to be, if you're a young player, you're going to be asking that question, aren't you? Um, for sure. I mean, they're... <laughs> The, the way they play, I guess they're going to need a lot of options uh, across across those attacking roles. But I think it's, you know, I, th- I think there's been a, a, a trend um, recently that we've seen, obviously Jaden Sancho being the the, mo- the most notable, but uh, of of uh, uh, the generation coming through looking potentially to to, to go abroad to, to play more matches and. I think that's a very healthy trend. I think that it's good that they're considering it. I think it's great that some are trying it, even better that, that some are thriving. And I think that has to be healthy for their development. I think we've seen too many players who have just lost a critical year or two. And, we, and the, the thing is, we never know what is lost. You know, they, they spend a couple of years playing under-23 football, say, and not playing 
senior men's football um, and yeah, something something I think is lost. Um, the problem is though, you complain that they're playing under twenty three football, not senior men's football, and then when Chelsea goes and and when Chelsea go and loan these people out, like they did with Tammy Abraham or whatever, then you all get angry because they have too many players out on loan, right? Not you specifically, right? Um, well, that's a stockpiling issue as well. But I, you know, I think. But, like, I mean, this is what gets me about this guy, right? It's amazing that Bayern have offered all that money, if, if that story is accurate, right? Because this is a guy who he started as many Premier League games as James Gearbrandt has. In fact, he's 71 minutes of <laughs> Premier League football under his belt. He only turned 18 years old in, in November. Now, I know that people have this idea that, oh, but players need to play to develop. Yeah, let's chuck them in the first, first team in the pathway. Unless we're talking about like Wayne Rooney and, 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 and Rashford. And, but even Rashford, of course, he's been criticized too, or, or his manager has been criticized for in and out. There really aren't that many tremendous players who are regulars and are playing a lot of football two years before they turn 20. They, they, they really aren't, certainly not at top clubs. Go back go back and see how, how many games Steven Gerrard played when he was 18 years old, right? Oh, no, I agree. I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I was speaking generally rather than about you know, Hudson, as, as you say, he's still got plenty plenty of, uh, of, of time. But, I mean, you look at someone like, you know, obviously Solanke um, on the move. We look, you know, he's, he's now 21. Now, that's, you know, we're not talking about an 18-year-old there. We're talking about someone who's a couple of years older and, and needs, certainly, uh, to be playing, you know, regular football at that age and, and hasn't been, and hasn't been, for a, hasn't been for a while. So, that, you know, that's, you know, the, 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 the phenomenon exists, that, you know, undoubtedly, that there are players who are not getting the games they need and then making moves that aren't getting them the games, and that has to be, you know, that's why it's it's healthy that there is that there seems to be a bit of a reappraisal from 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 kids. I, I think the other thing to say about Hudson Doy is, and and this is in the context of the Pulisic deal, is Eden Hazard, William, and Pedro are all out of contract in 2020. Chelsea, I think, will extend two of those deals, or would like to extend two of those three deals. Um, obviously, Eden Hazard is the one they'd like <laughs> to extend the most, um, I would assume. Um, but they're not going to extend all three. And so then, all of a sudden, you know, if you have two of those three guys, plus Pulisic, plus Adoy, plus a center forward, you know, that's kind of what you need to be equipped in a Premier League season. And also, I'm interested to get get your take on this as well. Is it possible that, I mean, obviously, Pulisic has almost exclusively in the past couple of club seasons played on the wing, mostly on the right, also a little bit on the left, but for the US national team and also when he very first came into the, uh, started playing in the Bundesliga, he played more as what you might call a, a sort of attacking midfielder. Yeah. Is it possible that he they may also think that he has the potential to play what we might call the hamsick role in the in the Sarri system. Yeah, or the or the Conte role actually. <laughs> I mean not as it, as it is I, Yeah, I, I I mean I think this is a weird it's weird because you saw Sarri coming out the other day and talking about like, oh I don't know anything about Pulisic, is he coming? Oh, oh that's why He's not being cute. I think he just wasn't expecting the question because he's used to having a director of football who signs people for him and it's not you know, this is a guy he he actually really wanted and and the reason he wants him is because people might not have seen a lot about of of Pulisic but he is um he's a phenomenal athlete who works really hard he's one of those football nerd types 
who goes and watches himself over and over again. He does these weird things like, I mean, I mentioned it in a piece in, in the game today where his boots are like a size too small relative to, you know, his running shoes or the shoes he wears normally because he wants to have that sort of special sensitivity and, and close control and stuff. And he does all these little things. He is a guy that, you know, another football nerd like Sarri would love because he can sit there and be like, all right, these are the runs. These are the angles. This is how you press. You do this, do that, do that. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to play on the wing. You're right. He could, he could play in, in one of those, one of those two, two sort of pressing roles in, in, in midfield. He could also play as a, as a center forward um, if, if necessary. So yeah, I, I mean, we can debate the fee, but um, I think it makes sense beyond that. You mentioned Sari there. He hinted last week that he would like a new striker at Chelsea. And James, what did you make of Morata's performance then against Forrest? I find Morata so interesting because, I mean, if you look at like the the kind of just the pure his pure goal scoring record for Chelsea in the Premier League, it's not terrible. It's not great. But it's not awful. I think he's not scored that many less, for example, than Lacazette, who I think everyone agrees has been pretty good signing. I think it's something like 16 goals to 21. So it's not, you know, it's not night and day. And I know people get, you know, annoyed about this. But if you look at his expected goals, again, they're pretty healthy. But I think with Morata, it's just, it's what people call the eye test. I think it's actually watching him. A, he misses a lot of chances, which doesn't help. But... There's also just the kind of, I don't know, the sort of, I guess body you would language, call it... The, don't say body language, don't say body language. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kind of, you know... Say it if you have to. <laughs> I'm not a huge one for body language, but honestly, I mean, it is just impossible. By all accounts, you know, if you talk to people who, who know him well, he he is he's someone who is quite a sensitive character. And, you know, everyone who sort of knows him well says that he's quite receptive to criticism that he receives and stuff like that. Just the kind of, the whole way that he sort of carries himself. I honestly am not kind of generally a huge one for analysing body language, but in this game, it was so remarkable and just so apparent, particularly his reaction after he he scored. I mean, he looked almost glum. Um, And, and, you know, there was quite a sort of bizarre, you know, I think he scored after he scored the first goal when, you know, Fabregas ran over to him and Fabregas almost kind of gave him a shove. You know, as if to sort of, you know, be like, come on, you know, exactly, as if he was trying to kind of rev him up. So uh, the evidence of this season is that Sarri is not particularly sold on him because he's obviously lost his place in the starting lineup. But uh, I don't know, he's someone that really interests me because I feel like there could be something there. I think, you know, he's, he's shown in flashes that he can be a very, very good striker. But what he projects, and I suppose particularly from the point of view of Chelsea fans, because he's just such a contrast to what Diego Costa was, that whole kind of force of nature thing that, that Costa had. Morata's whole kind of vibe, I think, just kind of seems to work against him. He did talk last year, didn't he, about... I mean, I think he said, I wouldn't call it depression, but it was, you know, it was in that in that territory. So, I mean, you know, that, that it clearly became... You know, a big issue for him, whether that's you know, not just on the pitch, but but he was you know struggling um, with 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 confidence and 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 with his mental well-being, and uh, you know um, clearly isn't something you just click your fingers and just um, make it go away. So you know, as as James said, he's you know clearly that, I mean he's an in, makes him an intriguing character because he, he he looks at times like he's an absolute Rolls Royce of a footballer, but. Um, 
yeah, that's that's not simplifying it with body language. That's that's just saying here's a guy who clearly um, has had troubles. He's been willing to sort of articulate them to some extent, and and you feel like they're they're never necessarily that far away. Well, let's move on to Tottenham then, shall we? Uh, they're still in the hunt for four trophies. So, Matt, is 2019 the year when uh, Maurizio Pochettino finally wins some silverware? Uh, well, quite possibly. Um, I, I guess um, domestically, I, I don't think he's going to win the uh, Premier League, is he? Um, um, so uh, they might win a d- d- domestic cup, but I'm not as hung up on this as some are. You know, I know the goal is to... Um, yeah, you know, the ideal is to win trophies, but ultimately, you know, is anyone seriously sitting there thinking Pochettino is is a failed manager? If he doesn't, does anyone think Man United or Real Madrid aren't going to come and throw a lot of money to try and get him, um, or certainly Man U, um, if if he doesn't, you know, win a domestic cup? Um, you know, they. <laughs> There is um, a hurdle for the whole Tottenham team to get over in terms of, of clinching that. But, uh, yeah, uh, um, it's it's an aim. It's something they must go for. It's something that would show a ne- next stage of development. But I'm not about to call him a failure if he doesn't. And then the other semi-final, the holders, Manchester City, take on League One, Burton, Albion. And given uh, City's victory over Liverpool and their subsequent 7-0 win over Rotherham, can anyone, anyone make a case for Burton? causing an upset. Are you looking at me? Yes, right? I am the, right the, now. The, the lower division expert. Um, <laughs> no, but what I think is interesting um, is Nigel Clough, and I actually know who he is because his dad was quite a famous <laughs> footballer, and I remember him as a player even. Um, can anybody sort of cogently give a capsule explanation of his career? Because I remember him. Obviously, he became player manager at Burton Albion. He won a bunch of promotions. Everybody talked about how brilliant he was. He was there for a very long time. I think he turned down offers to go elsewhere. Then he moved on. Wikipedia tells me he went to Sheffield United, uh, possibly somewhere else too. And then he went back to Derby. Derby, there you go. Then he goes back to family tradition of Derby. And it didn't work out, Mm -hmm. I presume. Yep. So he must be in his early 50s now. I'm wondering. Is he one of those guys who's now happy? Says Burton Albion is my home. I've been here for a hundred years. Does he have any ambition to go elsewhere? Do people? Because I'm assuming his his resources are limited there, right? Hmm. Does he have any? Do, do we know? Does anybody have any insight in this guy? Because it seems weird to me that, given the national obsession with his dad, people have kind of lost interest in him. Well, I don't know, but I think you know he's been a success at Burton. Obviously, went back and has been a success, albeit that they got relegated. Obviously, when they did come back up to the championship. Um, I don't know. I don't know what his long-term view would be on I mean, his Dick, career. Well, Stickos. Yeah. Stickos, of course, is tight with him and helped organise <laughs> his, his bachelor party when he got married. <laughs> um, I, I, I've had a couple of chats with Nigel Clough. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, I, sometimes maybe a manager just feels that, that they want to be in an area they they know, an area they love, um, job That's where the they feel... Nothing wrong with him. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Like I, These people are like, oh, you have to show ambition. you got to go do this, do that. You know, I mean... I, I kind of feel like this guy gets a raw deal, right? He, even as a player, I mean, he got to play for Liverpool. I think he might have even been capped for England was, once or yeah. twice, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, he's he's done it. He's done the high level, whatever. He's happy where he is. I mean, I'm wondering if maybe people got a little carried away with him because of his last name. Uh, well, I don't think he's ever been talked up as the the next next messiah. I mean, he's brought attention clearly. 
um, and attention he's not always found particularly comfortable um, following a, a managerial sort of icon, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it's ever become a sort of right now prove prove you're as good as your dad. I would just like to point out nobody has made a case for Burton though winning this one. No, just silence, tumbleweed. What a story that would be, though. I suppose if it was a one-off game, maybe it would be different. But it's two legs, so that makes it a bit more tricky. We'll discuss it on Thursday, won't we? All right, absolutely. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's talk some quick hits. As mentioned, Kevin De Bruyne comes back with a bang as Manchester City romp past Rotherham uh, 7-0. Dico, just how big is a fully fit De Bruyne in determining who wins the Premier League? Uh, pretty big, I think. It's um, not just a fully fit, but obviously a fully functioning, a fully form De Bruyne is, is one of the, the great um, midfielders, uh, attacking midfield players in the world, full stop. So uh, I think if he is gets back, gets close to his best form um, in a title race that I think we all think is going to be, you know, tiny margins, um, that could be influential. Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made it uh, five wins out of five, beating Reading 2-0. James, Alexis Sanchez made his first start in two months. What role will he have in the club's run-in? Well, I mean, I guess the answer to that is if everyone stays fit and Solskjaer doesn't rotate very much then it will probably be a small role because he isn't first choice at the moment but in the sort of limited minutes that he's played this season he's kind of fallen off people's radar a bit but I think you know he still has shown that he has the ability to create chances and stuff I don't think he's probably going to get back to that level of his last season at Arsenal but I think you know potentially if there are injuries or rotation he could he could be important. Quick follow-up here Mm -hmm. I, I really wondered about this like whether Solskjaer has a, an actual sort of first choice front three in his mind. And I think back to his experience as a player, especially when he was so successful that there was so much rotation from Sir Alex's perspective. And obviously he came off the bench a lot. And I'll just throw this out there. But I, I think we might actually see a lot of rotation, a lot of interchangeability and, and sort of horses for courses from, from Solskjaer. Natalie, oh. one for you. 
We don't spend a lot of time discussing the National League uh, or the conference, as it used to be known. Um, But I'm told we have to talk about Will Evans, who comes from Chesterfield, apparently. Yes. The city with a crooked spire. Indeed. Do you know why the spire is crooked? No, I don't. Something to do with, I think, the devil was was, was being shooed by by a blacksmith um, and... And the guy accidentally drove a nail into the devil's foot, and so he like got up with a jolt and he knocked the spire over, or certainly made it crooked. There you go. Well, you learn something new every day, don't Undoubtedly you? Undoubtedly, the most famous crooked spire or tower in the world. Let's talk about the football club instead of the spire. It has been a miserable few years for them. They've suffered back-to-back relegations. They now find themselves in the relegation zone in the National League as well, so not going very well. Uh, Martin Allen was sacked just um, after Christmas. It's believed John Sheridan's going to be taking over imminently. He left his role at Carlisle. Um, Chesterfield hosted the inform Ebbsfleet on Saturday, found themselves 3-0 down at half-time. But they pulled it back to 3-2 before the centre-back, Will Evans, that you just mentioned, equalised in the 95th minute. That is not the end of the story though. Because in the 96th minute, the Chesterfield goalkeeper Callum Burton was believed to have punched the Ebbsfleet striker Michael Cheek. So a red card was shown, a penalty given to Ebbsfleet. They weren't able to bring on a goalkeeper having used all their substitutes. So step forward, Mr Evans who um, decided to go in goal for this and he saved the spot kick. It was Cheek that took it but it was saved. So Evans writes his name into the Chesterfield Folklore. 3-3 is how it finished. That's awesome. Will Evans really is a god amongst men. And I have to say, I will always have a soft spot for Chesterfield, partly because of the Crooked Spire, partly because of the absolute screw job that they were subjected to in uh, the FA Cup some 20 years ago. And Charlie, the producer who knows everything, is nodding with attention. Gearbrandt, you weren't even born back then. Uh, Andy Carroll scored for West Ham his first goal in nine months. But Matt, it's eight years since his move to Liverpool from Newcastle. West Ham reportedly are willing to let him go. Would a return to St James's Park simply be a, a romantic nonsense? Uh, well, I think you said it, yes, first goal in nine months. So um, yes is the short answer. I, I suspect the nightclub owners might be might be happy. Um, keep, keep them busy, but if, if that's oh, it. Come on, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, OK, I'm sure he's reformed. But um, equally, he does uh, yeah, injury records, goal records, cost records. It, it, it doesn't add up to a fulfilled career, does it? One striker who didn't play much leaves Bournemouth on loan, and one striker who also didn't play much joins Bournemouth for £19 million. That's right, I'm talking about Jermaine Defoe, who's off to Rangers, and Dominic Solanke, who comes in from Liverpool. Gearbrandt, who would you rather talk about? I'll talk about both quickly. Go for it. Defoe, I think, bad signing. Um, and we know that Eddie Howe doesn't always have the golden touch in the transfer market. Defoe, I think, you know, big wages, quite old, didn't play very much. I think that one is just one that you have to kind of write off, I think. Um, Solanke, I think, is interesting. I, I know that people will be kind of outraged about the fee, but I think it's just kind of fairly standard for, for the market these days. Uh, obviously quite a small sample of first two minutes, so it, it's, it's it's kind of hard to, to say how he might pan out. Um, obviously it has, you know, huge... Well, not huge, but I think he's got a pretty pretty good upside, having been, I think, player of the tournament at the under 20 world cup i think it's an interesting signing that um if it pans out could be could be an absolutely huge success um would you rather have Solanke or his erstwhile strike partner tammy abraham oh that's really tough um both cap for england i might add 
I don't know. Honestly, I would have to kind of. I would. I'd. I'd, I'd like to see more of them both before before I give a definitive answer on that. Gab, should we have one for you then? I know Real Madrid lost again, but that's not exactly news, is it? Talk to me instead about uh, Frank Ribery and his fine, and, and whether really it's all down to Salt Bay. Is it his fault? <laughs> I find this story so weird and. Um... So basically, Frank Ribery was on holiday in, in Dubai uh, with his family before meeting up with uh, Bayern's training camp uh, in Doha. And for those who don't know, there's this guy Saltbai or, or Nusret, I think is his real name. He's sort of a celebrity chef who's got a tremendous following on Instagram. People apparently love seeing all the famous people go into his restaurant to eat his steaks. And he's got this this incredibly sort of artsy camp way of <laughs> of putting salt um on uh, on the steak but anyway so Ribery does a video and the problem is he's not eating a normal steak he's eating this ridiculously crass steak covered in in gold leaf now i i can't tell you what flavors that adds I, i've never had gold leaf on a, a on a steak somebody does a story on this it goes out on social media uh, it turns out that the the steak apparently cost. There's some confusion about this. That the steak apparently cost thirteen hundred dollars, uh, but then other people say it's Durham's. Whatever. They basically all have a go at Rebury. They have a go at his pregnant wife. They have a go at his mom, his kids. Rebury gets really angry. He points out that he didn't actually pay for the steak, which I have to say is probably the least relevant point <laughs> here because. You know, Ribery spending thirteen hundred on a steak is equivalent to Gearbent spending twenty p on a pack of gum, right? Uh, the point is, you're eating a gold leaf steak, and um, it raises all the issues about how footballers spend their money, or whatever. But then Ribery goes out, and he has an absolute rant. He describes, I think, the, the cleanest, the most creative part of his rant is that the people who criticize him are are people who were born because there was a hole in the condom, um, <laughs> and uh, so for that, Bayern who clearly nothing better to do go out and said oh well you know we need to fine you not that we disagree with your any of your sentiment but simply the language you used which again you know it's weird to me Ribery's been a professional for 18 years I'm sure he's been abused many times I, I thought the whole story was was kind of funny actually mm. uh, talking about funny Roy Hodgson made you laugh little bonus he did because I'm assuming he doesn't watch Netflix I'm sure he's busy or if he does he probably you know watches Black Mirror, uh, Bandersnatch or something, and, and not uh, Sunderland Till I Die. Because he was asked about um, the striker who plays for Sunderland, Josh Madja, and he said he didn't know who he was. Now, far be it for me to criticize people not knowing players in the lower divisions, but I knew who he was simply because I watched the Sunderland Till I Die documentary. He's a, he's a young striker who made his debut, I think, last season and scored uh, a bunch of goals in, in League One this year. Um but yeah, I thought that was kind of sweet of Roy. I mean, Dicko, you know Roy better than any of us. Did that surprise you? They didn't just even pretend he knew who he was? Or that he doesn't watch Sunderland until I die? Um, he's too busy reading uh, erudite novels, isn't he? He's a big reader. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm not that surprised he's more of a book man than a Netflix man. What, do, you, do you think he has a Netflix account? Well, I don't know. He sits, he's, 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 I think he's still got a flat in Richmond. We'll have to send send his neighbour, Mr. Side, along to knock on his door and ask. But I think um, no, he's, he's always he likes to uh, he likes to, he likes to talk books more than Netflix. In my limited experience, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Matt Dickinson and James Gearbrandt. 
Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times as well. Yes, that's right. You get that as a little bonus to enjoy award-winning journalism online uh, and on your smartphone or on your tablet, too. It's just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back on Thursday looking ahead to the return of the Premier League. It's Tottenham versus Manchester United. Till next time. Bye-bye. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.